could your network help you survive a shark attack? We learn how it's possible today as we welcome Carl Hughes to the show. Are you ready? Let's go! Hey everybody, Ryan Roten here and this is the Brand New You Podcast where we explore how to use personal branding and social media to impact your career. No need to look any further, you found the podcast dedicated to helping you create a brand new you. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to the Brand New You Show. I'm Ryan, your host, and today we welcome to the show Carl Hughes, the founder of JobBrander.com. Carl is a technology entrepreneur whose specialty is online publishing and marketing. In addition to JobBrander.com, Carl also runs two other websites, his own personal site at CarlLHughes.com and The Casual Cook, and that's cook as in K-O-O-K.com. And on that site, he shares vegetarian recipes as well as his thoughts on fitness and running. And if that wasn't enough, Carl is also the fourth employee and engineering manager for a startup company called Packback Books, the pay-per-view textbook company that lets students rent textbooks for as little as $5 a day. Carl, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. It's great to be on. Well, I appreciate you being here, and I know that you are a very busy person, so I'm going to dive right in, and we're going to get the super important questions out of the way first. Sounds great. If, if you were allowed to vacation in only one place for the rest of your vacation days, where would you go and why? Well, you know, I was just talking about this with somebody uh, earlier today who was telling me he's going to take a trip out there. Um, but Utah is my favorite place, in at least in the United States, and it, of places I've been so far. I think if I got like a fantasy place, maybe I'd say somewhere like Australia or something, but I haven't been there yet. So I'm, I'm holding out. Um, okay. But yeah, I love Utah. You've got the mountains, you've got desert, you've got a huge lake. Um, it's just beautiful as far as uh, scenery goes. So any specific place in Utah you would say? Um, I, probably Salt Lake City because I like a little bit of a city environment, but you know, you're know you so close there to all sorts of great outdoor stuff that you just can't beat that. Right, yeah. And I've, I've been uh, threatening to make it down to the, the uh, Bryce Canyon area and go do some hiking and backpacking myself oh, there for a couple of years. It's beautiful. I need to, I need to do yeah, that. That's, one, that's on it. my uh, wish list of places to go. Yeah. So when you go on this vacation, if you're like me or like most people, you're going to take a book with you to read. So which nonfiction book would you take with you? I, I, you know, picking one, this is like impossible. I, I don't think there's any way I could pick one right now. Um, I'm reading and I, I love this and this would be great for like a sort of meditative, uh, vacation, but it's called, a book called you are here. Uh, it's basically just a, a kind of intro to, to Buddhist meditation and just kind of, um, the whole process of mindfulness, uh-huh. which is a really interesting way of thinking if you're, you're into kind of sort of self-improvement. Yeah. That, that, that was just on 2020 last night or two nights ago, I believe. Oh, really? Yeah. I, didn't see that, but I just started reading it a couple of weeks ago. It's a short little book. I just haven't had a lot of time to read lately, and it's really interesting. Really, would be a I, I love it. Okay, yeah. Well, if you get a chance, check out Twenty Twenty. I believe Anderson Cooper was the guy who did it, and that, they had an entire section on mindfulness. Okay, yeah, it was pretty interesting. So, I, Carl, I know you're a runner. How many, uh, many, or many or half? I don't. I'm not sure what the proper terminology is because you can tell <laughs> yeah. I am not. But how many? <laughs> um, we'll say mini marathons. Did you run in this year? So last year I did three half marathons, okay. uh, a couple five and ten Ks as well. Yeah, it was a good year. Wow. So which one was your favorite? 
Man, uh, the one in San Francisco, even though it was um, is not, not my best as far as time goes, it was by far one of the coolest experiences. You you run across the Golden Gate Bridge at like six in the morning. Oh, uh, it's hell yeah, it's beautiful, and you know it's in July out there. It's great weather for running. It's you know never more than fifty sixty degrees. Um, so it was, it was a whole lot of fun. Yeah, I uh, took my. I, I actually have to travel to the Silicon Valley area for work. We have a facility there. Yeah, uh, but I've got to take my family to San Francisco area for the first time this year, and I just—it's just a beautiful place. Oh yeah, it's great. I'm going to switch now. We're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to move into something I call "Pick One, Tell Me Why." So I'm going to give you two choices. I'd like for you just to pick one that you prefer over the other, and let let us know why. Okay. So my first one is: Which band do you prefer to listen to live, Beck or Wilco? Oh man, um, <laughs> I, Wilco is definitely my favorite, and if it, I, I've saw them twice. Uh, they were here for a series of concerts. So I saw them twice this month. Um, and they've just got a really unique style and just a whole wide variety of different music that they've put out over the last 20 years. And so always a lot of fun to me. Okay. So which, which for those not familiar, people not familiar with Wilco, which song should we pay attention to? You've got to check out the, the whole album, Yankee Hotel uh, Foxtrot. That's what it's called. And um, it's got a picture of Marina Towers, which are the, these two buildings right outside of my window uh, where I work in Chicago. And so I get to see them every day. It reminds me of that album cover. I absolutely love it. Awesome. All right. So if you were, gonna, if you were sitting in your living room and you were going to play with either Legos or Lincoln Logs, which one would you choose? I'm a Lego guy all the way. I grew up on those things. Now, you work for Packback, which is a startup company, and we're going to talk about that here in a few minutes. So when Packback hits it big, are you going to buy a Ferrari or a Lamborghini? I'm a Ferrari guy. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Which is your favorite recipe, the red quinoa black bean tacos or the tofu tacos with cherry salsa? Oh, man. Um, That cherry salsa was really interesting, so I'm going to go with those. I haven't made that in a while. I'm glad you brought that up, Ryan. I'm going to have to get back uh, into a little cooking. Well, there you go. You've got got, got a goal for food for this week now. Yep, I got it. (laughs) All right, last one. If you were a college student today, would you buy your textbook or would you rent your textbook? Uh, in most cases I would probably rent mine. And of course I would use Packback's daily rental model, uh, which I think is a, it will, I'm sure we'll talk about, but yeah. For those who don't know or are not familiar, what is Packback Books? So Packback is, is my main job. I know you mentioned a lot of things that I kind of do on the side. It, it, it's a lot of kind of hobbies and stuff I'd like to put more attention to later, but Packback is really where I work my nine to five or more. Um, but basically, we started the company uh, a couple years ago. Uh, my, the co-founders uh, were students at Illinois State. And the idea here is instead of having students pay this big upfront fee for all their textbooks, we let them rent them digitally for every day that they actually use them. So if you're going to use a book five or ten times and we charge you $5 or $3 a day, depending on how big a book it is and how much it costs, um, it's going to save you a lot of money from buying that book 300 bucks up front from the bookstore. Uh, plus, you get to kind of mitigate your cost and spread it out throughout the year. Uh, if you decide it is a book you're going to use enough, we'll let you rent to own it, essentially. Mm. So there's no risk of you know spending more by doing this model. It's really just a, a different way for students to pay for their textbooks and bring them online digital digitally. Um, which is what publishers are really trying to get done as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember when I was in college and I hated buying books. You, you, right. You know, not not only were they expensive, but they were big. You had to lug them around, uh, yep. and quite frankly, you never really opened them up. 
Right. And so yeah. as, as a parent of a, of a child who will soon be going uh, to college, I will definitely be recommending that uh, we pay <laughs> a little bit of attention here to pack back in the possibilities of uh, using your service when, when he's ready for it. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, right now we're working big time on increasing the number of publishers that we work with, the number of books we have in our catalog, but it's going really well. We've had a couple really good semesters. Um, we're, we're kind of working with fundraising as well. And we've been really, uh, really fortunate with that so far. And so it's a, it's an exciting time for our company, but I think also an exciting time for the publishing industry and education. There's just so many interesting products out there, um, kind of helping students save money and get more for their dollar. Education is one of those areas where uh, it it needs to be turned around. It needs to be changed. And when you and when you're changing education, you need to change all of the things that feed into it. And books is definitely one of those things. Yep, exactly. We're talking pack back here. If I'd be remiss if I did not mention that um, your founders, your co-founders, appeared on the Shark Tank earlier That's this right. year. Yep. Um, and they were able to hook, okay, pardon the pun, uh, <laughs> some some investment money and market Cuban for uh, $250,000. Yep. And while that in itself is pretty awesome, I understand that you played a little bit of a role in coordinating all the technical preparations for the show. What, so what was that like? Right. So um, my uh, the two co-founders of Packback, Mike and Casey, uh, they started this company without any technical expertise at all while they're still college students and were able to just kind of through their own uh, blood, sweat, and tears, I guess, get a basic website together. Once they started getting some funding, they uh, got in touch with me. I had kind of known these guys for the last year and just been paying attention to them um, when I was, while I was working my last job. And uh, they they needed an engineer. They needed somebody who knew software enough to you know make sure the site stayed up, especially going into um, when they were going to air Shark Tank um, because that's a puts a big strain on your site. I mean, mm-hmm. it's you know, I think something like 10 million people view the show the night of, and then you've got millions more kind of over the next few months. Yeah, I'm one as of they, them. They air, uh, yeah, <laughs> as they air the, you know, the, air it online as well as do reruns. And so we did that in conjunction with a bunch of press uh, releases and kind of uh, work with the media here locally as well as nationally and, and several other websites we went through. We did a big AMA on Reddit. I don't know if you're familiar with them, mm-hmm. but that's a pretty, pretty good site for getting some traffic as well. And all that kind of happened at once. So it was an interesting technical challenge, and having worked with startups, it was something I'd never really faced before. So I, I kind of made the rounds of my network and just talked to all the guys I knew who had been in software development for longer than me and um, had some knowledge about what I'm going to be up against, you know, and talked with our hosting provider, other people. And we made it through. I mean, we didn't have any major outages during that period. So far, That's you know, awesome. been. Yeah, we've so far been really um, lucky. We're now up to a full engineering team of like three, well, I'm sorry, four people. Um, And so we're growing. We're kind of starting to feel a little more like a a real company, quote unquote, um, you know, than the four of us when I very first started. But it's, it's an exciting time for sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, you hear about all the glamour stories of working for startups. But what I, what the question I have is, what's it really like to work for a startup? <laughs> Man, it's an emotional roller coaster. I'll tell you, like, you know, big companies are great if you want stability in your life, you want to know where you're going to be, you know, in five years or whatever. You've got a very predictable path. Um, you know, I've worked in startups and chose that kind of path for the last few years. And 
it is, you never know what's going to happen. You know, you may go into this thing with rose colored glasses, just thinking, man, I'm going to come out of this with some big exit and it's going to make me rich and I'm going to get to take five years off and go travel the world. Right. Right. Well, (laughs) once you people hear (laughs) you, right. You see the movies, you know, you see movies like the social network, you hear the story of, of Twitter, Facebook and you, and Instagram, you think that's how they must all go. I mean, it's so far from the truth. You know, there's those occasional like we've got Groupon here in Chicago. That was a great ride for them. But um, even even those success stories, I mean, you don't hear about these guys past failures a lot of the time. And that's the the norm is failure in this industry of startups. And you kind of have to go into these companies uh, realizing that there's a good chance whatever you're doing will not work and that you might be back out looking for a job in six months to a year. Uh, and you, you've you really got to love it and be passionate about what you guys, the problem you guys are solving. And you've really got to love your co-founders or the people you're working with early on because you don't get away from them much. I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I, I tell you, you know, you you just said something that's like a key differentiator for me uh, when I when I talk to people who work in startups versus people who work in corporate life. You you said you have to be passionate about the problem you're solving, which yep. which is something I hear from a lot of people who work in startups versus the corporate world, which is you got to be passionate about the product we're selling. Right. And and to me, they're two completely different things, two completely different mindsets, and and uh, you know that's that's a key that's a key differentiator between the corporate life and startup life. I think definitely one of them. I mean, there's there's many, you know, but that's definitely one I think that stands out to me as well, Ryan. You, you and I um, connected on Twitter because of an article that you wrote titled uh, Seven Things Startups Want in Engineers Besides Knowing How to Code." Uh, and, and what stood out to me about this article was there's a couple things. So first, my oldest son is, as I already mentioned, he's getting ready to go to college and he's considering engineering. Yeah. Thumbs up. Right. So <laughs> and, and I've been you know, I, I don't have a preference of which engineering he goes to, but I made him read this article because I thought it was very interesting in that, you know, you're as a, as a hiring manager at a startup, you're expecting people to know how to code. It's some right. of these other things that you're looking for that are important. And I'm going to, I'll just read through uh, the list here decisiveness, communication skills, cultural fit, adaptability, loyalty, passion for the field and the problem you're solving, and a network of engineering contacts. So, out, out of those seven, which one is most important to you? Oh, man. Um, you know, it, it's tough to, to point to one for all startups because I think what you realize as you work in a startup is that things quickly change and your needs quickly change. Um, so, for example, uh, when I was the I was the fourth person, the first full-time engineer at Packback, and the first thing I kind of got to work doing was finding someone who was more senior than me to be my own boss, essentially, to be our technical expert. And um, what we needed in that person was probably quite a bit different than the last couple hires that he and I have made together, you know, that are kind of our just more, I guess, like the side players, you know, in a way. And it's not that they're less important. It's just that this is a different role. Um, when you're talking about someone who's going to be your, your head of engineering, your kind of CTO role, you need somebody who's you know, going to be much more process driven and think in those terms, especially the network is a huge one for that. And then when you're, uh, when you're hiring someone who's going to be just your kind of day to day coder for that role, you may just want them to really be interested in geeking out on whatever the problem is you're solving. And so I can't, I wouldn't pick one and say, this is right for all startups. What I would do is say that it's very dependent on where you are as a company, what your hiring needs are and 
sort of where you see yourself in three months, six months, or a year. So, so for that coder that really likes to geek out, as as the hiring manager, and you're looking at their experience, right? We've already you've already kind of assumed that they know how to code. If you were going to look at their background for where they where they learned how to code, which would you prefer to see? Like time at a code school boot camp. Um, which are starting to creep up um, in a lot right. more places nowadays. Or would you rather see somebody with more of a traditional, you know, four-year college computer science degree? Well, more than either, I, I hate to bring up a third option. More than either of those, I want to see examples. And, okay. I mean, real-world examples of stuff they've done. So even if it's that's just as simple as them having their own website, their own uh, GitHub account. GitHub is for your non-technical listeners is basically just a place for. Uh, developers to store their code and share it with each other. Okay. Um, and for small startups, what I really look to see as far as technical experience is, do, have they worked in the open source community? And are they familiar with that whole idea of bringing in someone else's code, making it work for what they're working on, and then re-releasing it out to the world? You know, it's interesting, like working, having done some engineering, uh, my internships were bigger companies in college, and everything is very closed in the bigger company world. You know, we, they just have to be more careful. Uh, about what they're releasing and about what open source stuff they're using. They have you know stricter guidelines, whereas here in the startup world, we really want to see developers who are willing to get out there and collaborate in the community. Um, and that means you know allowing others to see their code publicly. And it's a little scary when you're a developer, you know putting your first things out there. But as far as your question of, you know, the classic computer science route versus the um, non-traditional, you know, six to eight week program or 12 week program. Mm -hmm. I think either is fine as long as you can show that you can be productive from day one, which is really way more important. Yeah, it's, I think that's probably true in a lot of in a lot right. of cases, too. And I know also within startups and probably more just in the tech community. Uh, the interview process can be somewhat different. It's not just a series of questions like you'll get at a typical job. Right. Um, you you may also ask ask the applicants to execute a coding project, correct? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that most companies probably these days, even bigger ones are for develop, software developers are probably asking for some kind of exercise. Um, but yeah, we definitely get them to submit, a, you know, to a project. Um, I've had some companies that have interviewed me and had me do like live coding sitting right next to their, you know, their software manager or something. And that's, that can be a little intimidating, but at the same time, I think it's kind of helpful to see how people will collaborate before you actually bring them on full time. Yeah. I actually, um, I have a friend who uh, works at a very big company, but also a very dispersed company in that, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's really no corporate headquarters. Everybody kind of works out of their homes and right. his interview process was a month long and they actually had him working on customer tickets throughout yep. that month. Uh, and they did that for a couple of reasons. One, they wanted to see how he worked. And more importantly, they they wanted him to understand how the company works and whether right. or not he could actually, you know, thrive in that kind of culture. Right. And I, that brings up a really good point, Ryan, that a lot of startups, when they first bring people on or when they're thinking about bringing someone on, and even my first job with a startup, I started as a contractor where I was just, you know, either on a part-time or like a, you know, a full-time, but it was just a contract type role where I wasn't guaranteed a salary, just hourly. And it was kind of a little more of like a test period. And basically the, you know, the hope was I could see on my end, do I really want to work for this company? Is it really, you know, coming together in a way that I think is going to be moving forward quickly and, ex and exciting and good for my career. But also they got to see without spending quite as much, you know, capital, um, what is this guy going to be like when he actually works with us? And I think 
you have to go into startups realizing you may not get all the perks that you get at a bigger company as far as like, you know, a bigger paycheck right up front. There may be these test periods. But uh, once again, it goes back to if you're really passionate about what you're working on, that's a whole lot more fun to me than any amount of extra paycheck, at least at this point in my life. Is it possible for a person who's mid midlife uh, going through, wanting to go through a career transition, go from, you know, the job they've been doing, say, for the last 20 years and completely switch over and adapt to a startup lifestyle? I, I It's definitely possible. I mean, I, you know, I think you, we probably all know people who have hit a midlife crisis at some point and decide they'd start their own business. My dad was like that. Right. Um, or you know, a podcast. So, right, <laughs> right. Or that guy named Ryan with his podcast. <laughs> but yeah, I, th- I think it's definitely possible. And in fact, I think those kind of people can be really useful um, to come into a startup because a lot of times what you have when you have a, a startup company is a lot of young kids uh, and I, you know, myself included, who we we may have a lot of passion, we may have a lot of energy, but a lot of times we lack the uh, experience in the real world, and we lack that sort of, I guess the, I don't, I won't, I don't want to say timidity, but that's almost a good thing mm-hmm. to a certain extent that a lot of more experienced developers uh, and engineers will have, and so it's really good, I think, once your startup is growing and you've got the room to hire more people to get a balance of people who have done bigger company things and in that slower environment and are more process oriented and some people who are a little more young and energetic and ready to just get going on everything. So if, if there was somebody out there who wanted to go from a more traditional career and move over to a startup career, what, what advice would you give for them as far as you know, getting ready to prepare for that type of transition? Well, the biggest thing would just be get out there and start meeting people who are doing it or have done it. You know, it's really interesting once you start to meet people who are really just either in the middle of a startup or a small company or they've sold one recently or sometime in the past, just getting their perspective and hearing from them, you know, the pros and cons, but also just kind of starting to get networked in with them because startups more than any kind of business that I've seen, and this that's a bold statement, really do hire based on personal like recommendations more than anything. So if you're looking to get in with a startup or you want to start your own company, you got to know people. There's just no way around that. I've talked to several people now on this podcast and the word networking comes up over and over and over. Huge. And you know, there are so many ways you can do it. Now you don't, you know, you don't have to live in the same city. You don't have to attend the same, you know, the same meetup, say for example, one Thursday night, Uh, you you know, you can do it just like, just like we did over Twitter. We just, you know, we, we saw each other had some common interest and pinged each other and there, you know, there you go. And exactly. and that's how relationships get born. So someday I'm going to expect you to hire me. Is what I'm saying. <laughs> Some maybe it, it could be either way, Ryan. You never know. Yeah. Once once I get through code school this next year, I'm going to call you up and and uh, figure out if I can get through my coding project. You let me know if you need some help. I'd be glad to point you in the right direction. Yeah. See, and there you go. For, so for anybody who's listening, that's how easy it can be to at least make connections to start to find the other connections that you might yep. need to get that job someday. Yeah, and you actually, this brings me up uh, kind of a story I have about that and that whole process. When I was in college and towards the end of school, I realized I wanted to get into startups. And so I, I had no idea how you go about doing that. But I knew that I'd have to get to a bigger city one and I'd have to start meeting some people who were at startups that had funding, right? Especially mm-hmm. web startups that had funding. So I actually took a big trip with a couple of friends. Um, we took a road trip up to Washington, D.C. and New York. And I just scheduled meetings with as many startups as I could under the guise of, I want to write an article about you smart. for this, this blog I have, right? Very smart. And I had no idea, you know, like, 
I, I'm not a, I, I like writing. I, I was not a great writer at that point. I'm an engineer, you know, and I just wanted to get in with somebody there. And, you know, six months after I did that trip, I had, had job interviews with one of the, one of the companies. And then I had, you know, several contacts from other companies that I stay in touch with still. So uh, there's always creative ways to network. You don't, like you said, you don't have to be in the same city. You don't have to be in the same industry. You don't have to directly know anybody and don't be afraid when you're young and you can do it. Use flattery, you know, yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> get, get to these people somehow. It, it is, it is so much easier now than, than it ever was before. Uh, right. You know, you almost have no excuse not to do it. Agreed. Yep. All right, I want to I want to switch. I want to move talk about Job Brander for a few minutes. This is your the website that uh, you've founded. Can you tell us a little bit about what jobbrander.com is? Sure. So, you know, I I am really passionate about college and sort of those entry level professionals getting out there into the job market. I always have been. I mean, that's why I've worked with college startups since I I was in school. And, you know, for me, getting a I guess getting on a career path has always been easy, but I've had so many friends that I'm still close with and talk with regularly who just really struggle to figure out what they're doing with their lives, even into their, you know, mid late twenties. It's, it's, there's no right answer and nobody's ever going to tell you, here's what you should go do. And here's the path you should take. I hear, you know, and I heard some, yeah, and, and and by the way, that's true even in your mid forties. By the way, <laughs> right? I think I think it's true <laughs> at any age. But you hear so many career professionals say, "You need to get a career path. You need to know what you're going to do, and all this." But it's so hard to actually figure out how you go about doing that. Um, anyway, long story short, is I'm really passionate about helping people who are at that point in their life where they're trying to figure out where they want to go next, how they interview for jobs, any kind of question. And so that's why I start Job Brander, and it's basically just advice blog. I do some job listings that aggregate from other sources. Um, and I've got an email list, pretty basic content thing on the internet, you know, well on the internet, there's, there's tons of other great resources as well. So I don't think that job brander is by any means the only one or the best in every way. You know, I wrote that article we just were talking about for the daily muse. I've always been a huge fan of their, their blog. And that's kind of what inspired me to get started with job brander. But yeah, I mean, I, I love when I have a friend or a, someone who's an intern with us at Packback who reads Job Brander and says, man, that article you, you wrote or so-and-so wrote, that was really cool. And I had never thought about things that way. And that's like a, to me, that, that experience alone, just getting some of that validation is worth it for me, you know, and I, I don't spend a full-time job on that, but I, I love being able to help just a few people along the way. Yeah. I mean, I, I look at it too, is even with this podcast, if I can help one person, change their mind or solidify something in their mind, then it's completely worth it. Yeah. It's great. It's a great feeling. And I mean, I think for guys like you and me who are, we're, we're not sure exactly where we're going, what we're doing with our lives. Right. I mean, right. It's, it's totally up for change. And so job brander is just one more thing for me to try out and keep me you know, doing something different. Yeah. So now on job brander, I noticed you've been interviewing kind of, you have this series of articles. You've been talking to a bunch of different career coaches yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, if you if you take all the people you've interviewed so far and you aggregate those all into one big list, what are what are the top couple of things that you think you've learned the most from those interviews? Yeah, that's a great question. And uh, you know, we were talking about uh, networking, and that has come up every single in every single one of these. Um, Surprise. It, yeah. Right. Uh, without a, a doubt, every career professional. These are professional uh, resume writers and career coaches that I've been interviewing. And every one of them has said networking is key and communication is the other one that you've got to figure out how to you know build up that skill. And I would echo that completely. I mean, 
those two things have kind of gotten me where I am. And of everybody I know who's ever had a job, you know, 90% of them were because they knew the right people, not because they applied on the right job board, you know. To communication, you had written an article, I believe it was called uh, How to Tell Your Story in a Job Interview. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as, as the hiring manager, what kind of stories are you listening for when, you know, when, when we're not coding in a project? But what are, what are the type of stories you're listening for job applicants to tell you as a part of their interview process? You know, it, not everybody has a great story, and a lot of people are still looking for theirs, I feel like. When we, when we were hiring our head of engineering, the guy who's kind of served as my boss um, here at Packback, he had a really great story. And he basically just kind of told how at his last job he had gone, you know, he had helped build up this tech team from like just two or three people up to 12, I think, or so, um, and how his role changed. And he had a, he was great. He, he actually like wrote out this kind of like mini org chart and how it evolved over time. It was just super clear to see how he like played a part in the building of this growing team. And that was exactly what we're trying to do over the course of the next couple of years. And so it was just like, we immediately saw the parallel, like yeah, this natural. guy, Right. This guy did what we're going to hopefully be doing over the course of the next couple of years. And that just made it – it was like a story that – it basically told a story that he's already done exactly or close to what we're trying to do. And that that's the kind of story if you're a job seeker you want to tell. You know, you want a company to, that, to be looking – for someone to help solve their problems. And you want to say, here's how I've solved very similar problems before. I think it was implied there, but being able to relate what you've done in the past to the company that you're trying to get a job with is yep. critical as well. I've heard that from multiple career coaches now. Um, and and to even be able to do that, you have to have done some level of research on the company before you go into the interview. Right, for sure. I mean, even with small startups, uh, you've got to have some background information on them. And, you know, we every now and then we have people who say, oh, we couldn't find anything on you guys. Well, we've had at least a dozen news articles written about us. No. (laughs) You know, now we're on TV. You you can't make that excuse anymore. So, yeah, no. uh, Uh, You you guys are easy to find when you type in Packback. Good. Our marketing team is doing the job that they should be doing then. Excellent. That's right. So uh, do you think, talking about interviews, do you think that public speaking would make interviewing easier for people? I, I am a huge fan and proponent of everyone learning to be a certain amount of a good public speaker. Now, I'm not great. I mean, you know, I, I'm comfortable enough um, when I have to be. But I think that everybody should be should at least practice it some. And I do think that it ties directly in with interviewing uh, job interviews or an interview like this where you're, you know, asking me questions because it allows you to, to think on your feet. It, it sure, I guess it shows people that you can think on your feet. Um, and it's also just a good way to sort of organize your thoughts or force yourself to organize your thoughts, which, which I'm not doing a great job of in this response. <laughs> no, that's okay. That's okay. Hey, you, but you, you, you mentioned networking again. So I want, I would like, can you take just a couple minutes? You, you touched very briefly on it before, but can you take just a few minutes and uh, go back? Let's go back to pack back for a minute. You heard about them and you started following them. So can you yeah. talk about your progression with, with Packback? It wasn't like they, you know, they put out a job ad that said, hey, we're hiring, and then you <laughs> right. showed up at the door. How did, how did you go from learning about them to working for them? Right. So I was previously with Uloop, and I, I'm actually, I've since left them. So I, I've been in Chicago for about a year. I had 
kind of wanted to get more plugged into the startup community here. And so I started going to these events. There's, there's an event here called Technori, which is basically a monthly pitch competition where a bunch of startups get up there and pitch their ideas. And uh, I think they have five or 10 minutes to, to present. And then they get a few minutes of Q&A with the audience. Well, anyway, I saw Packback at one of these. And these two young guys who are younger than me. And they were just so full of energy and like charisma and just this passion. You could just feel the passion burning from them, you know, that they really want to solve this problem of textbooks. And they had some already early validation that they were going to get there. And that was about March of last year, 2013. By November, one of their co-founders called me and was just like, we had met, I guess what happened was I saw him at Mar- in March and I, I scheduled a meeting with one of their co-founders just to get breakfast and see, you know, what they were up to. Anyway, in November, he called me back. He's like, you know, we're just starting to raise some money and you're, you, you've got this engineering background. We need someone technical. What do you think about just kind of coming in and talking with everybody? And so it was very casual. It wasn't like, you know, I was not even looking for a job. I wasn't looking for a technical job. I wanted to, I wanted to get into more marketing and, you know, mm-hmm. less into product. And, but anyway, once I got in with them and started talking, I realized that this was very, just, just a super unique opportunity. And I, I really fell in love with what they were doing again, I guess. And, uh, so they got me on and, it, yeah, it was definitely just all about knowing them, knowing their problem, and then just kind of keeping up with them. And that's mm-hmm. the part I think actually I, I would like to add that keeping up with people here is something that a lot of people miss when it comes to networking. It's easy to go out there and just meet people all day long, but keeping up with the real core group of people that are going to define your network for years is is a real challenge. And I have a method. I, I Every three months, I have this big list of about 60 people right now, and I try to keep the list kind of like current with who I'm most close with. 60 people who I just email and say, how's it going? Do you want to get coffee if we're in the same city? If we're not, I, I just say, you know, you want to get on a Skype call sometime and catch up. And these are these are my core network. I look at them as people I've helped in the past or they, you know, have helped me in the past. And I want to stay in touch with them and, you know, just have them there. I think something like that, whatever system works for you, is a great way to keep up with people and make sure that, you know, once you do, say you lose your job in six months, you don't know where you're going to be, talk to that core network. You know, those are your people. Yeah, that's great. You could have 10,000 people that follow you on LinkedIn or you're <laughs> right. linked, linked to in LinkedIn. I guess that's the correct way to say it for LinkedIn. Right. Yeah. But who cares if you don't talk to any of them ever? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter if you've got 5,000 friends on Facebook. If you're not keeping up with people on a regular basis and adding that personal connection, it's pretty much meaningless. Exactly. And by the way, if you're ever in Indianapolis, I'd love to have a cup of coffee. Oh, man, we should definitely do that. <laughs> I, I don't I've, I've been over, I have some family in Michigan. Sometimes I get through to Indiana, so I'll, I'll let you know. All right. Please do. <laughs> talked about a lot of stuff from a job seeker standpoint and you know you being a hiring manager with Packback what's what is one thing that you if you you know you had your wishes and you were king for the day that you could say I need every job seeker to know when they come in for an interview mm, one thing it could be two but yeah. <laughs> well I I need them to know about our company at least just a base level that that I think is really key um, you know you you see people come in and they just kind of flounder because they don't know what problem you're even trying to solve. And so then you as a jo- as an interviewer have to kind of back up and say, all right, well, let me explain, you know, what we're doing here. I think that's one good thing. And I think I also, in an ideal world, would love to have them sure of where they want to be in five years. Because 
you know, when you're hiring, yeah, you want you, you there's a selfish bit of it where you want people who are really going to be good for your company. But in a lot of cases, those people are only going to be good for you if they stick around long enough to be worthwhile. And mm -hmm. that means what you're the position you're offering to this person has to fit with their career goals. So, you know, if you've got an engineer in who really wants to get heavily into JavaScript, but the only position you have open for the next six months is a back-end PHP position. I know this all is kind of Greek, but regardless, <laughs> you know, it's like a totally different position and they're not going to get a chance to transition into this other role that they want to be in. You have to be honest with them and say, look, you may be a great candidate, but we are aren't going to be able to meet what your career goals are. Is that okay with you? And if it is okay with them, is it really okay with them? You know, right, um, because right. you don't want them to be dissatisfied a year out because they never got to do that project they thought they were going to get to do. And you then lose a person or you've got a person who's like maybe half, you know, working and half kind of checked out. Uh, so I think getting those, those, uh, the goals of your company in line with um, what this person wants to do in their career. Uh, I, I would love to have that every time. That's great advice for anybody, regardless of age or what, you know, startup or traditional company or not. For sure. You have to be aligned with what, with what the company's doing. Otherwise you're not going to have any fun. Yep. Okay. Hey, speaking, you know, speaking of networks and staying in touch, you know, we, we can add some people to your list of 60, but what are, what are the best ways for the listeners if they'd like to get in touch with you for them to do that? You can go to carllhughes.com. There's a contact page. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Carl L. Hughes. Uh, if you look for Carl L. Hughes on Google, I'm pretty sure I'm in the top 10 results there. There's a there's a Carl Hughes in England who's an actor. That's not me. I'm in Chicago. I, I could tell by your accent. Right. I, I'm <laughs> from Tennessee and I'm in Chicago now. So uh, yeah, if you're in Chicago and you want to get a, a drink or a coffee, just let me know. I'm always happy. I'm not a big deal. So I'm glad to uh, meet up with anybody or talk with anybody. And it's really great to uh, get on your show, Ryan. I, I have been listening to old episodes for the last week, and I love it. I'm, I'm oh, super okay. excited for the future of it. Oh, good. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. Any uh, So any, we'll wrap up last question. Any final thoughts, words of wisdoms, or tips that you'd like to pass on to anybody that's listening today? Man, have fun in your career because it is going to consume a huge piece of your life. Whether you work for a startup and you work 80 hours a week or you work for a big company and you work 40 hours a week, that is a lot of time when it adds up. And so love what you do and find a way to love it if you don't. Carl, you are wise way beyond your years. And I appreciate <laughs> you being on the show today. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure, Ryan. I look forward to keeping in touch. All right, me too. And there it was again. That common theme of one word that we continue to hear over and over again on this show. Do you know what that one word is? Say it with me. Networking. And there it is again. Every one of the guests on the Brand New You Show to date have contributed a certain amount of success, either of their own or of someone else's, to networking. And in this new age of job search, while you might find a listing for your next role in a newspaper or on a job board, you certainly won't get that role if you're not networking. Carl said it best himself. He wasn't necessarily looking for an opportunity when Packback Books approached him. But because he had been following up with them prior to the opportunity, guess what? It came knocking. Now, it wasn't just the mere act of meeting new people that made Packback founders reach out to Carl. It was Carl's follow-through and his follow-up that kept the relationship in the forefront of the founders' minds. And because of Carl's follow-up, he was the first person they thought about when they needed an engineer. And isn't that what we all want anyway? To be that first person at the front of the line. 
The job search today is all about building and maintaining relationships. The key word there, though, is maintaining. It's not enough just to build a network. You actually have to maintain it. Carl maintains a list that is nearly 60 people deep that he now purposefully uses to reach out to people every three months to continue to cultivate those relationships. And it's because of this that he was able to reach out to his network to ensure that he had taken all of the necessary preparations before Packback was featured on the Shark Tank. Now I wonder, could your network help you prevent a shark attack? Or is your network mostly confined to just a number, like your connections on LinkedIn? As you know, the best way for you to help me continue to grow the show and serve others is to head on over to iTunes and leave an honest five-star rating and review. And if you do, as always, you know that I'll be certain to feature it in an upcoming show. You can find all of today's references as well as Carl's contact information in the show notes at ryanroten.com forward slash Carl. And that's Carl with a K. And hey, while you're on the site, why don't you head on over to the podcast page and right there in the middle of the page is a speak pipe button. Click it and you can send a voicemail directly to my inbox. So until next time, Make it a goal to reach out to five people on your networking list and reconnect. Not because they're on your list, but because it's the right thing to do. And remember, if you're ever in the Chicago area, ping Carl on Twitter at Carl L. Hughes to meet up for a cup of coffee. Who knows? It might just be the best cup of coffee you'll ever have. So until next time, I've been Ryan, and I'm out.